Hope you had a great Thanksgiving and uh, time with your family. My brother and his wife were in town. Of course, my parents moved here a couple months ago, so we had a good, great time together. Um, hopefully, you did as well. We won't we won't talk about football yesterday or anything like that. That wasn't quite as good. Um, but praise the Lord, we're here this morning. Anyway, uh, we finished up our study of, of Nehemiah chapter 3 last week and, and those gates around Jerusalem and all that they represented in our life. And, but today we're going to get back into the heart of the story uh, regarding the building of the wall. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 4. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 4. Craig actually got us started in this chapter a couple weeks ago. And looked at those first six verses and he outlined for us the opposition and how opposition from the enemy is always going always to be present and always going to come when we're doing a worthy work. And you see that all throughout scripture. Obviously it's not just in Nehemiah, but it, but it does come with that caveat of those who are doing a worthy work. Or as Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And as Craig laid out for us, their, their tactics, the tactics of our enemy and the enemies that, that he employs, uh, they begin with fear and doubt. And you see that all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And that's how Satan attacked Eve there through fear of missing out and through doubting of God's word. And, and, and that just sets a pattern for how he's, he's going to work in our lives as well, working through fear and doubt. But then we also saw Nehemiah's response and then the result of that. And the response was of prayer, that it drove Nehemiah to pray and, and to trust in the Lord. And the result was that the work continued and it was accomplished. And that pattern of, of the enemy's attack and the, facing the opposition and then responding in prayer and, and, and the result of God's work going on. That's a pattern that you see throughout the book of Nehemiah, certainly. And it's a, it's a pattern that we're going to see again this morning. Just these next set of verses in chapter 4. We're going to start this morning in verse 7. And immediately we run into the enemies of the work again. So they've been, you know, we saw them all the way back in chapter 2. And we've seen them... Uh, last time in chapter 4, and we're going to continue to see them as we go on. And, and what we're going to see this morning is immediately after the enemies reappear, Nehemiah's response was to pray, and the result was that the work continued. And this is a, an important pattern in this book, and should be an important pattern in our lives as well, because you very quickly learn, uh, after becoming a Christian, that spiritual warfare isn't just a one-time deal. It's actually fighting one battle after another. And the enemy attacks, and you respond, and even if you respond in a biblical manner and gain victory in that fight, what you will find is the enemy's right around the next corner. And he doesn't go away, and that's just, that's just life in Christ. Welcome to life in Christ. And again, it's, it's, it's what we're going to see this morning, the enemies of Israel and the enemies of those that don't want Israel to fortify themselves and rebuild the walls, they just keep coming. And, and again, we, you know, we're relating this to our life and to our church and the building up what God wants to do in our life, what God wants to do in this church. And, and there are people that are against that. 
But you have to know that it's, it's going to be one fight after another. The other thing we see with the attacks in the book of Nehemiah is they just keep escalating. Right? As, as progress is being made, the enemy ramps up the attacks. And it started with laughing and mocking and that sort of thing. Uh, but we're going to see this morning that it, it ramps up a great deal. And it's really the theme of this chapter. The theme of this chapter is, is opposition. And I know I haven't given you themes uh, for the chapter so far, but, but let me go ahead and do that so you can see the progression of the story and, and allows me an opportunity to give you a very quick recap. I think I put them there in the bulletin. But the theme of chapter 1 is revelation. The problem of Jerusalem is revealed to Nehemiah, and he's burdened and he prays for God to allow him to be a part of the solution. And then the theme of chapter 2 is preparation. Because while Nehemiah is waiting for God to answer his prayer, he's preparing. He's preparing to talk to the king about his burden and ask him if he can go. And that happens. He gets that opportunity and the the king grants him leave. And and Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem to see the situation for himself. And as he's doing that, he's he's preparing again. Because before he speaks... To the Jews, he takes it all in, he analyzes the situation himself and prepares what he needs to say. And then after that, as we move into chapter 3, we see the description of the work and the workers. And the theme of that chapter is construction. And even those gates, as, as they are what we need to construct in our life in order to glorify God with our life. And then chapter 4, the theme is certainly opposition. Because once you begin to put the work on, once you begin to to put the work in place and begin building for the Lord, you find out who your enemies are. You're going to find out one way or another who they are. And it it, it sort of reminds me, this is sort of weird, I know, but it kind of reminds me of, of that song by Houdini in the 80s, The Freaks Come Out at Night. You guys remember that? Not, not all of you were holy then either. I, I get it. It's all right. I feel you. But as soon as something happens, you know, like nightfall comes, or you begin working for the Lord, now the freaks come out. And in the spiritual realm, they come after you when you're doing that worthy work. So by the time we get to chapter 4, God's people were not only building, they were battling. And they're working on multiple fronts, and that can be difficult. You're trying to do a job for the Lord, but you're also trying to fight the enemies and fight that good fight of faith. And if you only had to do one at a time, maybe it would be a little easier. But it's not how it works. And when you're dealing with all these competing priorities, it can be difficult at times to know which direction to go and how to prioritize and properly handle everything that you're facing. And so you get these competing voices in your head. And that's exactly what we see in our text this morning. When you're dealing with opposition in the midst of construction, who do you listen to? So I've titled this message, The Voices in My Head, because you're going to hear some different things from different people, and you need to know who to listen to. And in our, in our text this morning, we see four different people or groups, or you know, groups of people, we see four of them speak. And they give us different perspectives of the situation and how we need to handle the situation that we're in. Now, you know, only one of them is right, but I can guarantee you that you're going to hear all of them. There are going to be some voices in your head. 
Now, hopefully it's not because you're messing with those freaks that come out at night. That's, that's, those are, those, that's a problem. You want to avoid those voices. Uh, but even the ones in our text this morning can sometimes be difficult to discern. So let's look at this passage of Scripture and get into our study. Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 15. After the first round of opposition comes, we see round 2, starting in verse 7. But it came to pass that when Samballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God, set a watch against them day and night because of them. And Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burden is decayed and there is much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversary said, They shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them, and slay them, and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, From all places whence ye shall return unto us, they will be upon you. Therefore said I in the lower places behind the wall, and on the higher places, I even set the people after their families, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us that God had brought their counsel to naught, that we returned all of us to the wall, every one, unto his work. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much for the time we have this morning to to open up your word and, and to look into it, knowing that it has everything we need for our life. Your book is, is fully authoritative, it's fully sufficient for all we need. So Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit does his work this morning to, to meet each and every single one of us where we're at and, and give us what we need to help uh, in the fight that we have for you and, and, and to, to use our lives uh, in this world to glorify you. So, Lord, I pray that everything that is said is true to your word, and, and I pray that it is, is glorifying and honoring to you. And again, I pray that you'll use it in our lives for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So it's pretty clear that you see that pattern again, right? Opposition, response, and result, and, and, it, and it just repeats itself. But also what's clear, is, and I've already mentioned it, is that the, the attack has escalated, and it's escalated in a few different ways and on a few fronts. So first of all, the number of enemies keeps growing. Now they've added the Ashdodites. We saw this in chapter 2. It started with Sambal Tobiah. Then they added Geshem and the Arabians. And, and things keep going. Now they've added this group called the Ashdodites. Look at verse 7. But it came to pass that when Sambal and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites... Heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up, and that the breaches began to stop, then they were very wroth. And with the addition of the Ashdodites, the enemies now have the Jews surrounded. Because you have Sanballat and the Horonites, which, who we've already shown to be Moabites, and they were to the north of Jerusalem. We have Tobiah, he was an Ammonite, and so we have Tobiah and the Ammonites, they were directly east of Jerusalem. The Arabians were south. And the Ashdodites were from a city, Ashdod, right on the Mediterranean coast, directly west of Jerusalem. So they're coming from every direction, north, south, east, west. 
And sometimes life feels that way, doesn't it? It seems like the attacks are coming from every direction. They're hitting us on every side. Any way you look, the enemy has us surrounded. But not only were they coming from every direction, they weren't just mocking anymore. They quit laughing. And now they're conspiring together and they're coming to fight. That's verse 8. And conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. And listen, I mean, this is the thing about the enemies of the work of the Lord. Otherwise, they may not be friends. But they have a single cause to stop what the Lord is doing. But it goes even further than that because they were coming to fight and to kill. I mean, they wanted to slay the Jews. That's verse 11. So that the work stops completely. So we're talking about a pretty serious issue here and a pretty serious attack. And so because of that, Nehemiah responds in kind. He takes his response up a notch too. Now, of course, he starts with prayer. That's where we always have to start. That's verse 9. Nevertheless, even though we're surrounded, we made our prayer unto our God. But look, he does a second thing also. And set a watch against them day and night because of them. So he sets a watch day and night because of the seriousness of this issue. And of course they could trust the Lord. They did. But the Lord gave Nehemiah a brain too. And he expected him to use it. It's kind of like, it reminds me of a story about, you know, the guy's in a flood and, and his house starts to take on some water and water's up to his knees. And about that time a rescue boat comes along and and they're like, hey, we're here, we're here to take you in, the river's rising. He's like, no, I'm, I'm trusting in the Lord. You know, the Lord's not going to let me drown. But the water, so they go on, the water keeps rising. He goes up to the second level of his house, the rescue boat comes by again. They're like, man, you better get in. He's like, no, I'm, listen, the Lord's got this. I'm going to trust him. The Lord's not going to let me drown. But the water doesn't stop, and he's on the roof. The, the rescue boat comes by one final time. They're like, this is it. The water's not receding. Get in now or it's over. And he's like, no, I'm going to trust the Lord. The Lord's not going to let me drown. Well, he drowned. And he died and he goes up and he, and he meets the Lord. And he's like, Lord, what in the world? Well, I trusted you. You said you wouldn't, you'd always be there for me. Why'd you let me drown? And the Lord said, I sent the rescue boat by three times. He didn't get in, idiot. What, what can I, I don't know what to tell you. I tried. You see, it's not necessarily a lack of faith to use the brain that God has given you. Now, keep praying, obviously, and, and pray first, but then make a plan based on the leading of the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 13, 14 says, The law of the wise is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. But listen, it's not just that Nehemiah was using common sense. He was also applying biblical principles. This methodology that Nehemiah employed of praying and setting a watch is throughout Scripture. Paul instructs us to do that in the context of spiritual warfare. After talking about putting on the armor of God, look at Paul's counsel in Ephesians 6.18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. He says the same thing in Colossians 4.2, basically. Peter tells us the same thing, 1 Peter 4.7. But the end of all things is his hand, and be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Jesus, as part of training his disciples, says this in Matthew 26, 41. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So Nehemiah responds 
to the opposition through following the Lord. He's putting the plan in place, and that is right when the voices start. The voices start in verse 10. We're going to see in verse 10, in, in verse 11, in verse 12, and then in, in verse 14. And listen, that's how it's going to work in our life too. The opposition comes, and we want to do what's right, and we're going to pray, and we're going to put a plan in place, but you have a decision to make. You have a decision on which voice you're going to listen to. The ones in verses 10 and 12, the one in verse 11, or spoiler alert here, the one you should listen to in verse 14. Because, again, we see four times in those verses that I mentioned that so-and-so said, so-and-so said. Now, it, it, it drives down into three points because I've grouped two of them together. I'll explain that to you in just a second. But it starts with Judah in verse 10. And Judah is the wavering voice or the voice of apprehension. He's the wavering voice or the voice of apprehension. And this is a voice from within. This is a voice from within, from within us, from within the body of Christ. Because Judah was a tribe of Israel. This was one of their own. They were building. They were doing the work. But nevertheless, this wavering voice, this voice of apprehension, is a discouraging voice. Because they were discouraged to the point of quitting. Look there at Nehemiah 4 verse 10. And Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burden is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. And, and the interesting thing about this voice is that not only was it a voice from within, it came from maybe the most unexpected source. It was Judah. You see, Judah was the most powerful tribe all the way back to Judah himself. And they were the ones now whose strength was decayed. They were the ones who were discouraged. Listen, Judah had promises on him and on that tribe that, that they had obviously forgotten. In Genesis chapter 49, look at what God says about Judah. We find it in verses 8 through 10. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion, as an old lion. Who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him all the gathering of the people be. And those verses are they're just filled with prophetic pictures of Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the scepter, the Shiloh, until the Shiloh comes, all pointing to Christ. But the point is that, that Judah was the given, the strength of the Lord because of the bloodline. This was the tribe of David, ultimately the, the tribe of Christ. This was the kingly tribe. Look at what God says about this tribe in Judges chapter 1. So Joshua, right after Joshua dies... And now the nation of Israel, they're a little worried and wondering what's going to happen next. What's going to happen now? And right away, Judges chapter 1, look at verses 1 and 2. Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. 
Behold, I delivered the land into his hand. And then look down at verse 17. And Judah went with Simeon, his brother, and they slew the Canaanites that inhabited Zaphath and utterly destroyed it. The name of the city was Hormah. Also Judah to Gaza with the coast thereof, and Ascalon with the coast thereof, and Ekron with the coast thereof. And the Lord was with Judah. And he drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. You see, Judah was strong. Always strong, back from, again, from Judah himself. This was the tribe that every other tribe put their burden on. But in Nehemiah, bearing the burden was too much for them. And I want you to notice that even though they were with the rest of Israel, they were fighting this battle on both fronts. They were doing the work of the Lord and they were fighting their enemies. I want you to notice that it wasn't the enemies that was causing the problem for them. At least they didn't say that. It was the work. They didn't say anything about the enemies in verse 10. And listen, the truth is that sometimes the work of the Lord gets heavy. And sometimes the burden feels like it's too much to bear. And in those times, you're going to hear that inner voice, that wavering voice that tells you it's time to go sit down. And it's time to quit. And it's too big. It's too much to do anyway. You can't get it done. There's no way that you can get it done anyway. And it's not, it can't be worth it. And listen, the truth is you can't get it done. At least not in your own strength. The work to which we've been called isn't possible to do. Unless you're building in the strength of the Lord. For us, that's walking in the Spirit. If you're working in your flesh... That's a big burden to bear. Psalm 127, verse 1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. But it's, it's, it's not only from working in the flesh. Sometimes you're doing everything right, and you just get tired. And the burden weighs you down. It's why Paul gives us this warning in Galatians 6, 9. Let's not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And Paul wants you to know that if you quit, you're not going to get the reward that's there for you. The word faint in Galatians 6, 9 is being used the exact same way as the word decayed is in Nehemiah 4.10. So their strength was decayed. They were fainting. And we see this admonition many times throughout the New Testament. Jesus tells us not to faint. In Luke 18.1, but instead to pray. Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 4.1 that we've been given a ministry. That God's given us mercy to get through it. So, so therefore, don't faint. The author of Hebrews, I think, gives us the real solution. To keep our eyes upon Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. You got, many of you know these verses. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Because their wavering voice is going to be in there. 
you've got to have some voices in your head. And you're going to hear it. How do you keep yourself from being wearied and faint in your mind? You look to Jesus and you consider him. Listen, Jesus tells us the same thing. Matthew chapter 11. Again, very popular verses. Very simple verses. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light, and the picture there obviously is a yoke with, with two oxen. As long as you tie yourself to Jesus and look unto Jesus, he will do the heavy lifting. And listen, I want you to know that if you are feeling this way this morning, you're not alone. Some of the great heroes of the Bible, in fact, have felt this exact way. First of all, you're not alone in this room. But you're not alone in history. I mean, just think of Elijah. He stands on Mount Carmel. He faces down 450 of Baal's prophets. And he mocks them and he slays them all to God's glory. It's one of the, the great stories in the Bible. It's just like cool as can be. And then what happens immediately after that? He gets word that Jezebel's ticked off at him and wants to kill him. And it sends him into such a state of depression that he flees to the wilderness and he asks the Lord to kill him. Immediately after this great victory. I mean, just think of Peter. One of the strongest disciples that, there, that, that Jesus had. One of the inner three that were closest to him. He, he had witnessed all the miracles. He was so passionate about the cause that when Jesus was being taken away to be crucified, he cut off the ear of one of the king's servants, one of the guys that was there to apprehend uh, Jesus. And listen, I mean, the Bible doesn't exactly say this, but I, I think it's very clear. He wasn't trying to cut off the guy's ear. He was trying to split his head like a coconut. He just missed. The Lord saw fit for him to be off a couple inches, and he sliced an ear off. So Peter, someone who was willing to kill to keep Jesus alive and suffer the consequences, whatever they would be, not even 20 verses later, in the exact same chapter, in Matthew denied Jesus three times because he was in a place of discouragement and a place of apprehension. And those are just a couple of many examples in the Bible where men of God were discouraged by their circumstances. So take heart, but faint not. You're not the first person to feel that way. Now there's another interesting aspect of this wavering voice that comes from within that I want you to see. So verse 11, we're going to see the second voice, but I want you to skip over directly to, to verse 12. Because verse 12, there's another voice that I'm grouping with this first one. Because it's another voice from within. It says, and it came to pass that the Jews which dwelt by them, that them are the enemy. So the verse enemy, in verse 11, we're going to see the enemy speak. And, and, and they're, they're going to try some of their same tactics. But verse 12, we have this group of Jews that lived by the enemies. They came and they said unto us ten times, from all places whence ye shall return unto us, they will be upon you. So here you have Jews that were living outside of the city. 
that weren't even necessarily helping on the building of the wall. They were living out in those areas of Ammon and Ashdod and 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 Moabite, Horonite, you know, Horonam, and they were living amongst the enemies out there. And so they had heard what was going on, and they came, um, you know, and, and, and let them know. And, and everything I read, and, and, and to be fair, it, it was only a few things. I only read a couple commentaries. But all of them said that those Jews living outside the city were friends to the Jews living inside the city and that they came to warn them. And I understand that line of thinking. Because verse 15 talks about how the enemies backed off after the, the Jews in the city knew their plan. So that certainly is how God used the situation. But personally, I don't, I don't believe at all that those Jews from outside the city came with good intentions. I don't think they were friends. And I don't even think they came to warn them. I think they came to scare them. I think they came to rub it in their face. And I say that because of the number of times they came and because of the result of this inner voice that we're talking about a voice of discouragement a voice that is is to cause the workers to faint because it seems odd at least to me that if they were just coming to warn them why would they feel the need to do it 10 times and when I see specificity like that in the Bible listen I perk up and it immediately brought to my mind the spies in Numbers chapter 13, who were Jews. They were sent to check out the promised land. And if you remember that story, there were 12 spies sent in, one from each tribe. Joshua and Caleb came back and they said, let's do it. We got this. Yeah, those are some bad dudes, but that is a land that floweth with milk and honey and the Lord is on our side. Let's go take it. The Lord's promise is a promised land. The Lord has given it to us. Let's go. But the other 10 had a warning. The other 10 didn't think it was possible. In fact, they said something very similar to the men of Judah in Nehemiah 4, verse 10. And that's why I'm grouping these two voices together. We see that in Numbers chapter 13, verses 30 and 31. It says, and Caleb stilled the people before Moses. He calmed them and said, let us go up at once and possess it. For we are well able to overcome it. If you remember back to verse 10 of Nehemiah chapter 4, the, the, those of the men of Judah were questioning their ability. We're not able to do this. But look at verse 31. But the men that went up with him, the other 10, said, much like the men of Judah, we're not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than me. And I can't help but see the similarities in those cross-references. And then when you bring in Moses rehearsing the story of Deuteronomy chapter 1, it brings even more clarity to me, verses 27 and 28. Moses is talking to the Jews, and he said, You murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he had brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Look at verse 28. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren, those ten spies, have discouraged our heart. Saying the people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the son of the Anakins there. See, I believe in Nehemiah's case, those living with the enemy 
had joined themselves to the enemy. And they maybe didn't even know it. They were just living amongst the world. It's kind of like Lot. You see this progression of Lot back in Genesis, you know, chapter 17 through 19. And, 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 and he just kind of, he, he, he leaves Abraham and he goes into the world. And he just gets closer and closer and closer. By the time Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed, he's sitting in the gate. He's a leader. And these Jews weren't in Jerusalem. They weren't helping with the work. They were out in the world. But they were still a voice within because they were Jews. But I believe their goal was to discourage. So, and, and here's, here's the other reason why I say that. Because when it comes to a wavering voice, a voice of apprehension, it can come from within us, like Judah and Elijah and Peter, but it can also come from other Christians. Unfortunately, some of the greatest enemies of the church are those within the church. And they've joined themselves to the world, and they're living and, and, and surviving and thriving within the world. So don't listen to them. They only want to discourage you and get you to stop the work. They're doing the work of the enemy, which brings us to the second voice. We're going to go back to verse 11. Because that's exactly who we hear from next is the enemy. And this is the wicked voice. Or the voice of animosity. So look at verse 11. And our adversary said, They shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. And we looked at this quite a bit two weeks ago when Craig went through those first six verses. So, so I'm not going to belabor it this morning. We're going to move through this very quickly. But, but just as a reminder, you have to know that God's work always has its adversaries, right? That's what 1 Corinthians 16, 9 says. I mean, Paul said that. A, a great door, an effectual is opened unto me. There are many adversaries. For, we know 1 Peter 5, 8. Our adversary, the devil, right? He's a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. This is the reality of doing the work of the Lord. Our, our enemy doesn't like it, so he's hostile towards it. And he's going to use those tactics of fear and doubt that Craig talked about to try to get us to stop. I just want you to know that there's a wickedness behind it. And there's a grand plan as well. In fact, there are three elements to this wicked voice and the grand plan that I want you to see that, that we see here uh, in this verse. It's very, very simple. And very quick, but first of all, there's a purpose. And the purpose is quite simply to cause the cease to work. To cause the, to cause the work to cease. I flip my words there. The purpose, very simply, to cause the work to cease. That's what verse 11 says. And then secondly, in the example we see here in Nehemiah 4, and, and what you see in reality many times, not every time, but in many times, is that the adversary's plan has its roots in privacy. See, they were working in secret behind the scenes. The adversary said, They shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them. And this is a strategy that Satan employs regularly when he's trying to stop the work of the Lord. You know, Paul warned the Ephesian elders of this type of strategy. Acts 20, verse 29. He said, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter among you, not sparing the flock, and how do those grievous wolves enter? We get insight into that in Galatians 2.4. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily, privately, 
to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. They're working behind the scenes. Jude describes it this way in in verse 4 of his epistle. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And and I'm just telling you that one of the ways that our adversary likes to to work is, is this way, to bring in people and to work behind the scenes. And it starts in privacy, especially as he's disrupting the work from within. That's why it's so important to to stand on and to hold to God's word. They are roaches. And roaches like to come out in the dark. Right? And if you come in a room and you flip on the light, what do the roaches do? They scatter. Because some men don't like the light of God's word upon them. But for, for this group, when the light was turned on, they didn't have anywhere to go, so they come out fighting. And that happens sometimes too. If they can't go hide, they'll fight. And the private strategy becomes very public at that point, which is ultimately the goal. And they start to fight. And that's the third element of this plan, it's persecution. Their plan was ultimately to slay them. And listen, false religion always wants to persecute and slay true religion. That's how the devil started all the way back to Cain. A false system of works versus Abel's sacrifice. John 8.44 tells us that. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. So there is a wicked voice out there. And it works in different ways. It works with fear. It works with doubt. Sometimes he's that roaring lion of 1 Peter 5, 8. Sometimes he's an angel of light, you know, disguised as an angel of light. And so he works in different ways. Sometimes he works in private. Sometimes he works outwardly to persecute. But there's always a purpose. And it is to stop what God is doing in your life. So don't listen to that voice because 1 John 4, 4 says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So instead, listen to the third voice in verse 14. That's Nehemiah speaking. And that is a wise voice or a voice of assurance. A wise voice or a voice of assurance so Nehemiah hears through the grapevine, that the, so those Jews that were living amongst the, the enemies, you know, I, again, I think they were coming to kind of rub it in their face, but Nehemiah takes the information, and he does something with it. And Nehemiah hears about the enemy's plan, and in verse 13, he, he cranks up that watch to, a, to another level, and, and there's some cool stuff in that verse that we just don't have time to get through, but, but he gives them assurance in verse 14. He says, and I looked and rose up at Nehemiah and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. 
And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us and God had brought their counsel to not, that we return all of us to the wall, everyone unto his work. Now, verse 14 is my favorite verse in this book. And it's, it's, it's what I've built the theme of this series around. I mean, listen, Nehemiah is just a man's man. And it, and it shows up right here. In the face of opposition, an opposition that wanted to kill him and, and those that were working under him, he rallies the troops. And in doing so, Nehemiah counters Judah's claim that they were not able to, to build the wall by resting and trusting and pushing people to consider God's ability. That God is able. And listen, what I want you to know, some, some, sometimes we question, listen, it just can't get done. I can't do it. It's too much. It's too discouraging or, or whatever. And in that case, we're, we're considering our own ability. And what I want you to consider is that God's ability has been tested throughout redemptive history, throughout the pages of Scripture, by men who put their life on the line because they trusted and believed with all their heart that God was able. My mind immediately goes to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I use it all the time. But the thing thrown into the fire of furnace... Not for not bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar's golden image. They were willing to give their life for their God. And in Daniel 3.17, you know the verse. They said, if it be so, our God whom we serve is what? He's able. He's able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. And then, you know, verse 18 is awesome. I have it on here. But it's like, but even if he doesn't. Even if he doesn't. He's still worthy. He's still able. He might choose not to. Doesn't have anything to do with his ability. See, they trusted in that. I also think of young David when he stood in front of the Philistine giant Goliath. And King Saul didn't think much of David's ability. He even told him so. In 1 Samuel 17, 33, And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. But David wasn't trusting in his own ability. He was trusting in God's ability. You see that down in verse 37. David said, Moreover, the Lord hath delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. I hope he is. And he was. And, and listen, these are just two obvious, very popular examples from Scripture. There are so many others throughout the pages of, of this book. We see it in the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah just points them back to the Lord, who he said was great and terrible. It's the exact same thing he called the Lord in his original prayer back in Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 5. So go back and check out that message if you want to hear more about those two attributes. But Nehemiah encourages, he gives them a word of assurance, and he encourages the Jews to remember their commander and to remember their calling. Remember who is on our side. 
Because of it, let's fight. And let's not even fight for ourselves. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And so, again, this is my favorite verse in this book. And, and so I, I want to I talk to the men for just a second. And, and ladies, you can listen in, but, but I want to appeal to the men first. And fellas, I want you to know that in spite of how it feels sometimes, God has called us to something different than our feelings. And God has called us to something so much more than what we think we want and what we think we need. And he's called us to, to a life that isn't even about us. And he's called us to more than that that just makes us happy. So I don't, I don't want you to do this out, outwardly, but, but inwardly. I want you to look beside you. And I want you to look over here. And I want you to look over here. And I want you to bring your mind to our kids' first hallway and classrooms. Because that's what your life is to be about. And if you're single, look around you. Fight for your brethren. If they can't be strong, why don't you decide to do it for them? And listen, this certainly applies to the lady as, as well. This, this certainly applies to you, no doubt. I'm just calling on the men right now to be the man that God has called you to be. And he has the ability to do it in you and through you. You can't do it on your own, but he can't. Be the Nehemiah for those that God has placed in your life. Be that right man in the right place at the right time. And maybe you've quit working. You know what? The Jews had to. Because look at what verse 15 says. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught, that we returned all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. And if, that, if they had to return, that means they had left. So listen, there, there, many of us have had times in our life where we left the wall. And we left the work. You know what God's asking you to do? Just return. Just decide, all right, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm going back to the wall. I'm going back to the wall. And I'm going to start to work again. And if you've left your post, decide to get back there. That's all God's asking. It just takes a repentance and a willingness to return. Just remembering who is able Reminds me of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20. The Moabites and the Ammonites and others were coming against Judah. This is kind of a common theme throughout the Old Testament, by the way. And he prays, and, and, and I want you to see his prayer, and I want you to see the result of it, and just what it says, just, just the, the words of Scripture. 2 Chronicles 20, verses 12 and 13. This is Jehoshaphat, he says, O our God, wilt thou not judge them, the, the enemies, for we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do. 
So, I mean, listen, like if you were to just stop there. I mean, that's how, that's how I feel sometimes. I know that's how you feel sometimes. Like, this is too much. We don't know what to do. But, but man, there's a coal in there, and there's some pretty cool words after it. But our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah, what did they do? They stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And they just trusted him to build the wall. And listen, you may not know how to do it. You may not know what to do. But all I'm asking you is to put your eyes upon him and stand before him with those you love. Because God will always honor faithfulness and he will always honor his word. And that is all I know to do. And it's all I know to ask you to do. But in doing it, there should come with it some assurance. Assurance from on high that will help you. That he will be there for you. And he will be there with you. But it won't happen unless you listen to that wise voice. Don't fall into the trap of discouragement from the wavering voice. Don't be scared away or tripped up from the wicked voice. Trust in the wise voice. He has promised to never leave you nor forsake you. And I just can't imagine that you're going to be the first one that it happens to. Let's have every head bow and every eye closed. And as we bring this service to a close, I just want you to ask yourself this morning, what voice are you listening to? Is it the voice of wisdom and of assurance? Or do you feel apprehension and animosity? In whatever situation you find yourself in, the answer is to look to him. To fight for those you love. And as we're in this time of examination, will you examine how well you are standing for them? How well you're working for them? How, did you leave your post? If you did, will you just return? Well, will you just return to the wall and decide to get back to work? Will you repent of it and get it right and return to the wall and get to work today? Or maybe you're in here and you do not know Jesus as your Savior. If you don't know him as your Savior, will you surrender to him today and use this time of of, of worship as we sing this one final song to him to just ask yourself honestly, do I know him? Has there ever been a time that I've placed my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross? And if you've never done that, and you don't have that assurance of your salvation, you can do that this morning. And if you don't know how to do that, just come forward. I'll be here. We'll have other guys around. You can come talk to one of us. But if, if you do know how to do it, you can just pray right there in your pew. You don't have to come forward. God will hear, hear your prayer from wherever it's coming from. But whatever you need to do, do it today. Don't wait. Don't wait for another day. There's going to be more voices. Listen to the wise voice today.